0: for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade, Tuesday, July fifteenth, twenty fourteen. you signed up for the PCR conference yet? Listen, Clinton, Iowa, scenic place to be. There's like, you know, cornfields. If you haven't seen those cornfields, they're spectacular. Plus, we're going to have a great conference. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there we take the time to slow down, stop, open our Bibles, and see if that's what God's Word says. I mean, so much of what passes as preaching and teaching in popular mainstream evangelicalism isn't biblical. It's not historic Christian orthodoxy. It's not sound biblical doctrine. It's something else. And so this program is, well, kind of like the proverbial cold bucket of ice water that, uh, well, it gets thrown in your face. It's not that we're trying to make you cold or upset you. We're trying to wake you up. Wake you up because there's a lot of false doctrine out there, and this stuff matters. This stuff matters. Why do I know that it matters, or how do I know that it matters? Well, simple. God's Word says that it matters. Sound doctrine is what pastors and preachers and teachers are to teach, and Jesus warned us about people who are, well, false prophets, false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing who come to us in the name of Jesus, and they don't actually preach Jesus. They preach themselves and draw away disciples after themselves, rather than help us become disciples of Jesus Christ. This is not good. And unfortunately, this seems to be the prevalent thing that's going on in so much of mainstream evangelicalism. We're here to warn you about it, here to challenge you to open up your Bible. And uh, one of the things I say from time to time, and I'll reiterate it here, don't take my word for it. Nope. I'm not asking you to give me the benefit of the doubt. Don't ever want you to listen to Fighting for the Faith with an Open Mind. Always Listen with an open bible all right let 's talk about what we 're going to do on today 's episode of Fighting for the Faith. It technically does not have a theme. I, I should let you know that this episode does not have a central core theme couldn 't quite get all the pieces to work with uh, what I had to work with, and uh, plus, I was having problems with my uh, <coughs> with my two terabyte hard drive of uh, heresy. Yeah, I'm beginning to think that that, you know, I've got a literally, no joke, I have a two terabyte hard drive chock full of of bad sermons and, you know, video feeds from heretics from around the world. And my concern is that uh, this two terabyte hard drive has so much evil compressed into such a small amount of space that it could end up literally tearing a hole in the fabric of the time-space continuum. It's it yeah you know, it's it's that it's that, that bad you know the, having that much compressed evil into one tiny little box is pretty dangerous anyway I was having problems with it yesterday and uh, and you know, let's just say ep- recording yesterday's episode of Fighting for the Faith was a challenge in fact I did it in a way I've never done it before I don't want to I don't care to get into the details thankfully I've got the database and the uh, and the and the hard drive working properly today so you know. <clears throat> Let's just say I, I needed to go through and weed the garden a little bit. So, and and those of you who are in data, you know, who work in IT, kind of know what I'm talking about. That sometimes when uh, you've got a corrupted database file, you have to go in and and clean things up. And uh, and so I had to do that. But anyway, so that's my travails of yesterday. But let, so today's episode does not have a theme. In, in in fact, every episode of Fighting for the Faith, unless I tell you otherwise, actually does have a theme. Today's doesn't. Um so what we're going to do is we're going to begin with um a, a a in fact the the the, the theme I'm going to play for all three of the episode uh, the the program portions for hour number 1 it's going to be uh Dr. T's money money money. Yeah, we're going to start off with what I I'm going to show you kind of the template for how you know you're getting fleeced. Huh? doesn't matter if it's a local pastor, a television ministry, and we'll be using CBN as the example here. And uh, so we're going to show you the uh, money-grubbing, uh, you know, fleecing template. That's what we're going to do, and CBN will be providing the uh, the example for today. Then we'll switch gears. We've got a TD Jakes update. We're going to, um, well, this is another form of money scamming, if you would. And boy, TD Jakes, he is slick He is one of the most gifted communicators on the planet. Unfortunately, he's using that gift uh, to uh, fleece God's sheep and to peddle false doctrine. So we'll give you an example of that. He's going to be talking about his book, Instinct. And uh, we'll take a look at what he's doing there. Um, Somewhere in there, we'll take a break, depending on how the time runs. And um, we will uh, probably listen to a little bit of uh, of, uh, Ed Young. Explaining why it is that he does movie sermons along with other seeker-driven guys, and I think his little uh, at the movies promo for this year is worth uh, passing along. And then we will listen to Phil Pringle, uh-huh, yeah, Phil Pringle, out there in C3 Sydney, uh explaining to us why he has no empathy. And, and and I want you to hear this. I mean, this is this is somebody who supposedly is a pastor, but he's not. And these types of statements made by, uh, you know, m- large megachurch leaders like, you know, f- we have uh, Perry Noble making comments like this. We got Stephen Furtick making comments like this. This is just the latest, an example of uh, uh, of a megachurch uh, leader because they're not pastors by any stretch of the imagination, basically talking about why he shouldn't have to um, – well, uh, visit uh, people in the hospital. So he has no empathy, so we'll be playing that. And then in hour number two, oh boy, hang on to your hats here. Uh, uh, There's so much wrong with this sermon. Uh, Gary Lamb of Action Church, a guy who biblically is not qualified to even be a pastor uh, due to his moral failings, Um, and, and in fact, in the process of you know, becoming a pastor again, a seeker-driven leader is what I should say. In the process of becoming a seeker-driven leader again, uh, be, you know, he was a seeker-driven le- uh, leader of Revolution Church. He had an affair with the church secretary, left his wife for the secretary. The secretary and him got married. They had a kid, and now the secretary and him—they're no longer together as a, as a married couple. He's—you know—I I think she's dumped him. And uh, and so uh, she filed for divorce, and now uh, he's dating another gal, who's soon to be, uh, you know, Gary, Mrs. Gary Lamb, number three. And <laughs> it's like, do, do these guys even know how to read the Bible? So Gary Lamb of Action Church, because he's now planted a, another seeker-driven uh, church called Action Church. Um, he's currently doing a sermon series called Greatest Hits, where he's kind of reliving the, the, his greatest sermon hits. No joke, I mean seriously, you know he 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 pulled the people in his congregation, you know what are my greatest sermons and uh, and so he, we're we're gonna hear him repreach his one of his greatest hits uh entitled "In a pit on a snowy Day and <laughs> all I can say is I'm going to have to play our warning prior to this sermon because cool oh boy, there's so many things wrong with it that i the theology is like just the tip of the iceberg there's so much more going on here i mean if, if you have a pastor who's preaching like this you you ain't got a pastor you got something else so uh in, which tells you you might want to run leave flee find a real pastor find a church where there is a pastor who who doesn't aspire to be a a, a rock star you know or a, a mega church leader but Is really committed to faithfully caring for the sheep that Christ has, you know, entrusted into His care, and to preach the Word properly, preach Christ and Him crucified for our sins, things like that. So, again, I will play our standard warning prior to our uh, sermon review today because it's it's just that kind of crazy. So, uh, with that, we've got to get into the program proper. We've got a lot of ground to cover. And uh, this, uh, this uh, music will cover pretty much everything that we're going to be doing in the first hour today. So this will include uh, the CBN thing that we're doing right now, T.D. Jakes, as well as Phil Pringle. So just want to let you know that this is kind of like the overarching uh, thing that we're doing for uh, hour number one. So let's get to it. Here we go. Don't
1: want no love it. Don't want no kissing, don't want no gal, to call me honey. Don't want my, my name in, in the hall of fame. fame, just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. let me walk around and Waller in Mazuma. El Dinero wanna be a millionaire, give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition, that's the stuff for which I'm wishing Fill my closets with deposits, I'm a demon in addition Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces Money, 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 money I Wanna get me a suit that's made out of loose And whistle to wear the green I got that monetary-itis, like beaches, like King Midas. Want that golden touch, is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially, substantially, any sum I can and Want to live in regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money,
0: money. All right, that's Dr. Teeth and money, money, money. Now... Hey, this is the quintessential, and I and I mean it that way, quintessential template for fleecing Christ's sheep, and this this template is used by money grubbers all over the planet. Okay, and you'll find this oftentimes used in megachurches as well as well television so called ministries, and I have to put those in air quotes uh, because this is false doctrine. This is. False promises, and here's how the template works. This comes to us via the official Seven Hundred Club YouTube channel, which you can find at YouTube.com. And um, this is their Seven Hundred. So, does paying off your debt seem impossible? Is the name of the video. Does paying off your debt seem impossible? So, you're you're, you're somebody who's a Christian you 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 want to grow deeper in Christ and so you think you know I'll I'll try some of the Christian broadcasting out there and so you heard heard of CBN so you go to cbn.com and or you watch them on on television and you you DVR them and you feel like oh I'm going deeper in my understanding of Christ's word and then a promo like this comes on and asks the question does paying off your debt seem impossible and you think well yeah come to think of it you know I've got Several thousand dollars of credit card debt, and of course, a mortgage and a car payment and a student loan. And it just seems like I could never get out from under it. Well, that's the the question Does paying off your debt seem impossible? Is a setup, a hook, okay? They're preying on you P R E Y I N G, not P R A Y I N G.
2: Here's how the template works. Getting people moving, that's what Danny Kazmarek's business is all about. He does that with a mix of aerobics, weightlifting, and full-body exercises.
0: And the video shows this guy, you know, is basically a personal trainer, helping people work out.
2: Well, oh, my goal as a personal trainer is definitely get people healthy. But Danny told us his finances were anything but healthy.
0: Oh, so he, he's helping help people get healthy, but his finances aren't healthy. And so you're sitting there going, oh, this sounds like me. I mean, I how do I get out from under the mountain of debt that I'm under? Th- this guy's story sounds so much
2: like my own. Yeah. Between consumer spending and other debt, he and his wife were $75,000 in the hole. <laughs> wow, that's, that's huge. We basically charged everything. We didn't own anything from the cars to the TVs to a new bed to furniture for our new home. We didn't want to wait. We just wanted it now.
0: All right. So this sounds like the, the typical American, right? I mean, this is what our consumer uh, culture creates in people. So this might be you. And so you're sitting there in going, "Oh man, he's finally gotten out of debt. How did he do it? I mean, this this is being pitched as something to help you. Mm-hmm.
2: The stress of this mountain of debt weighed heavily on Danny, who saw no way out. Mm, yeah. I'd, how do, you do, how do you solve this problem? It's like a black cloud hanging over me, literally. Because at the time, when, you know, you're looking at your finances that are coming in and what you owe and what needs to go out. It was impossible.
0: No, notice that the music in the background has now changed to that kind of emotional, somewhat sad kind of thing. I mean, the dire circumstance that this man and his wife were in financially. What is the solution? I, I need a godly solution. What is the solution that God would have me? Uh, apply to get out of debt
2: then in 2009 Danny started tithing and giving to CBN
0: oh so the solution to getting out of debt is to send in a tithe one tenth of the gross income that you earn and to send it to a television ministry and this is what's going to get you out of debt
2: after hearing a message on the internet and watching Pat teach about giving on the 700 Club God turned me into a giver
0: So God turned you into a giver, and that's what got you out of debt.
2: Me into a giver. It has been relentless giving ever since. Never missed at all. As far as I can remember, since 2009, we've been giving absolutely every week of every month of every year. Danny says he saw God's provision when he landed a full-time job managing a fitness training program.
0: See, he wouldn't have got that job managing a fitness training program if it weren't for the fact that he was sending in 10% of his gross income to CBN, a television, quote-unquote, ministry.
2: A large company. When you start to give, God starts to give. Ah,
0: see, God's waiting. See, God can't give to you. and In fact, the reason why you're in debt is because you're not giving money to CBN. Or a television minister, or a mega church. It's like
2: it, this exchange that is supernatural.
0: Oh, see, it, I got it. It's a transaction, and see, once you do your part, then God is free to do His part. He really wants to bless you, but He can't until you start sending in ten percent of your gross a- annual income, monthly income, biweekly income, ten percent of the gross. To a, a television minister who was a false prophet and false teacher like Pat Robertson.
2: I really can't explain it in words because tithing just flies in the face of reality. A year later, when that job ended, Danny started doing his personal training business full time with outside clients. In the first year, probably a 70% gain. And then going into 2013, it doubled. And it's been that way ever since.
0: Since going out on his own day. See, if it wasn't for the fact that he was tithing to Pat Robertson, I mean, he'd probably be bankrupt by now, you know.
2: And he says he runs his business using a simple motto. Pay God, pay his debt, and lastly, pay himself. He does most of his giving online. And I feel g- oh, how
0: convenient. I mean, that, that makes it so
2: easy. Just on it. It's just very consistent, just like training. Consistency with giving, consistency with anything is going to lead to results.
0: It's going to lead to results. See, that's how the template works. I mean, it's this is a false theology, that God's sitting up there in heaven. He wants to financially help you out, but, you know, he can't. His hands are tied. Uh, he can't help you out unless, of course, you, you know, get online and send 10% of your gross income to, you know, Pat Robertson at CBN. Or Oral Roberts, uh, well, actually, yeah, I think he's dead. Uh, but you know, Kenneth Copeland, or or Creflo Dollar, or you know something like that. You see the problem here. Um, this is God's provision via works. Yeah, that's right. This, yeah, you got. You want God to financially help you out? Well, you got to prime the pump. You got you got to prime the pump. And if you don't prime the pump, well, God can't help you. And see, so you're just going to drown in debt until you start sending ten percent of your gross income via the internet to a. Uh, television ministry you see the problem the bible doesn't teach this this is false doctrine this is a false teaching and it's all disguised as oh listen we we want you to have god's help and provision but yeah well let us tell you the thorny the the thorny truth god can't help you until you send us 10 percent of your gross income every week first right off the top first fruits you know yeah, this isn't biblical. This is false doctrine, false teaching. This is the template for fleecing Christ's sheep. And of course, why would God want you to send 10% of your gross income to a man who is a false prophet? This is demonstrated objectively. He's given prophecies that haven't come true. Why would God want you to send 10% of your gross income to a guy who teaches false theology? He's a false prophet, teaches false theology and false doctrine, all claiming to be receiving a direct revelation from God. Why would God... Be waiting to bless you until you send your money to him. Does that make any sense? Doesn't make any sense to me. All right, moving along. We, you know, we're still under the money grubbing uh, banner here. Here is uh, TD Jakes. Uh, he's going to tell us. This is from his uh, his television program. He's going to tell us about his book Instinct. And this is the type of thing that if your pastor's doing something like this, yeah, you want to run. You. you because you're being taken advantage of. The thing he wants is not for you to be taught sound doctrine. The thing he wants is for you to buy his book. But we'll play this from the beginning of the program so you can kind of see how this uh, this template works. Here we go.
3: When I have an instinctive idea, it will die in the crib if I don't bring a team around it.
0: Mm, Yeah, wow. So this is the intro to this television program.
3: That has similar instincts to increase but diverse perspectives of influence and contribution your your ideas will die in the crib if you don't build a trick a team around it who has a similar instinct to increase even though they have diverse perspectives
0: mm, so notice a powerful powerful soundbite from this confidently preached sermon But the things he was saying, can you think of a biblical passage that talks about the importance of surrounding uh, your instinctive ideas with a team of people so that they don't die in the crib? Any biblical passages come to mind there? No, not one for me. So, whoa, it doesn't matter how well he delivered it. That's false doctrine. So that's the hook. So there's, there's the pithy rememberable, memorable statement that he made, and now on to you know from there to the setup, the setting the foundation, setting the table, if you would, for uh, what comes next. This is the Touch.
3: Greetings, brothers and sisters, in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. I'm so excited about this new book that I have released, called Instinct, and the feedback that I-
0: in the so he, he's coming to us in the name of Jesus. To sell us the most recent book that he's released. I mean, wow. That's what Jesus said in the last days. False Christ and false prophets will come in my name. So there's T.D. Jakes, who's coming to us today in the name of
3: Jesus to sell us his book i'm getting lives being changed careers being changed people going back to school opening up businesses starting careers changing relationships marriages as people begin to understand their core values and what they were created to do living your life by god's design and what he created you to do uh, will really change the result of the impact and how fulfilled you are in life
0: mm, this sounds like td jakes's version of purpose-driven theology
3: I want to continue this discussion. The materials that are in the book are too comprehensive to put on television.
0: Oh yeah, I know. Plus you wouldn't want to give give away the stuff on TV which is free, you know, when you want them to actually go out and purchase your book.
3: They're too in-depth indeed. Oh yeah. But I do want to share some excerpts and thoughts along the lines of instinct that would help you to locate that god-given influence that he has in your life there is a
0: god-given influence right so so he's going to give us some you know some some little teaser stuff to kind of wet our appetite and make us want to go out and buy this book
3: reason that you are more fruitful in a crowd or more fruitful in private more effective when you do this or that where you are inclined to music or not inclined to it all of these are little clues that god put in your dna to guide you into your purpose and into your destiny. Mm,
0: yeah, this is definitely T.D. Jakes' spin on the purpose-driven religion and theology. And he's a, he's a prosperity preacher. So he sees that, you know, purpose-driven theology is as a light version of the prosperity heresy. So he's embracing it and promoting it himself.
3: You're all up in everybody else's face, but you really need to be looking at you and finding out how you are wired And functioning in that, moving in it, flowing in it, investing in the area that you are instinctively created will make you so much more effective and so much more profitable. Let's take a look at some thoughts that I believe.
0: I mean, isn't it great that Jesus wants you to be more effective and more profitable? I mean, that's just fantastic. What a a practical and pragmatic theology this is. Um, where does the Bible teach this practical and pragmatic theology where Jesus is all about, you know, making you super successful in
3: this life? Tailored to the continuity of your situation will make you far more effective and a whole lot less frustrated. Take a look. So you get to this in-between place and, and you, you're kind of having to reinvent yourself, but you're not trying to reinvent yourself again into what somebody else wanted you to be. We've already done that, been there and done that. So now we're we're at uh,
0: the Potter's House, which is supposedly a church, and this is a sermon from a sermon series uh, aptly named Instinct, which, by the way, is the name of T.D. Jakes's book. What's he doing? Is he opening up the Bible and teaching us what God's Word says? Is he preaching the Word, preaching Christ from every passage of Scripture? No, 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 he's not.
3: This time we want to reinvent ourselves into the highest and best expression of who we were created to be. And- oh, this sounds so pious. I,
0: we we need to reinvent ourselves. Oh yeah, and to be the high, what, what I the highest and best that I was created to be. Oh, this sounds so Christian. Which biblical passage says? Uh, That we need to reinvent ourselves.
3: We have finally stopped being manipulated by who everybody else wanted us to be And we're finally ready to tap into our core and essence and be and as we said in our generation do my own thing Do me break it down to who I really am and be authentic to what God has given me And it takes you a while to figure out what God has given you It takes you a while to figure out what God has given you because you are so confused by what everybody else What else has given you? So many other people have put attached onto you their need, and you have morphed yourself to respond to their needs and circumstances that it might take you a little while to figure out once I get all the stickers that you placed on me, and all the buttons that you placed on me, and all the guilt trips that you placed on me, and all the assignments that you placed on me. Once I finally strip down out of all of that, who am I apart from your applause and approvals on the second half? I'm going to do me. Uh-huh. Real, and where does the Bible tell us to do this again?
0: Yeah, I can't think of any passages.
3: If there's one person in the church who understands what I'm talking about, make some noise.
0: Notice in the
3: church. So what I'm trying to do then is, is to... To get a new dream, a new vision, a a new fire.
2: Mm,
0: Yeah,
3: and the Bible tells us to do this where? Uh, Based on the experiences, good and bad of my past, and based on my ability now to tap into my God and into myself, I'm trying to get a new dream for myself. Mm,
0: Yeah, wow. I mean, by using the word, you know, like God and Jesus and in church and stuff like that, he's creating the false impression that this is what the Bible teaches. But it doesn't. You can't go to the Bible and find this teaching. Where can you find this teaching? Oh, I know where you can find it. You can find it in T.D. Jakes's book, Instinct, which, of course, he's preaching about because he wants you to buy it.
3: And, and to get that dream to come alive and to get the strength to birth again. Somebody say the strength to birth again. You need the strength to birth again.
0: Yeah, I'm a dude, so um, I've never birthed, and (laughs) no chance of me doing it again after I've done it because I can't do it, you know.
3: You need the strength to build again. You need the strength to search forward again. You need the strength to go forward and...
0: And listen, if you think T.D. Jakes is teaching you sound doctrine, you need the strength to open up your Bible and come to grips with the truth. He's a false teacher, a false prophet, somebody who is making merchandise of Christ's sheep.
3: Such a way that you are no longer captive to the past, that's good, but you want that sucking surge so that you can benefit from all you went through in the first half of your life so that you can build again. Touch somebody and say, you can do it again.
0: And this is taking place in a church. You can do it. Do what? You can do it, do what
3: you can do it again uh, I, I, okay, sure, um, what can I do again you don 't have to spend twenty years of your life accomplishing something and spend the next forty years talking about the good old days
0: mm, okay uh, wow that 's so encouraging. it makes me you know kind of feel warm and tingly inside about myself. Um, are you going to preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and, like, open up a biblical text and, you know, exegete it?
3: I'm going to say that again. You don't have to spend the first 20 years of your life accomplishing something that you got to spend the next 40 years bragging about. I guess the answer to that question is no. The good old days are coming around again. I said the good old days are coming around again. I don't care whether you believe it or don't believe it. I don't even care whether you like it or don't like it. I said the good old days are coming back around again. The good old days are coming back around. Let me tell you, the good old days are coming back again.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter how many times you repeat it and how many people are whooping and hollering while you're saying it. It doesn't make it true nothing what you've
3: said is actually biblical or true the good old days are not behind you they're in front of you i want to rebuke that spirit i i'm teaching but i got to go into my spiritual mode a minute because I want to rebuke that old deaf spirit that's hanging over your head that makes you think your life is over, your good times are over, and you're just sitting in the waiting line, waiting on a hearse to come get you. The devil is the lie. The good old days are in front of you.
0: So the devil is lying to me and saying that the good old days are behind me, and God wants me to know that the good old days are ahead of me? Really? Who knew? Who knew?
3: I don't care if you lost a home, buy another one. Yeah. Buy another one. They're still making them. Go out there and buy another one. Don't- what does this have to do with... What the Bible teaches. Don't spend the next 10 years crying about something that got over your head. No need in God giving you new life if you're going to rehearse old ideas. It's time to get out there and go shopping. Look at another one. Figure out what you should have learned from the first time. Armed with the information. Get back up again. Say, I kind of like that one right there. Do you have it with the bigger patio in the back? Do it again.
0: And what does this have to do with the Bible? Answer, nothing nothing whatsoever these people have gone to church to supposedly learn what god's word teaches are they hearing anything that god's word actually says no they're being whipped up into an emotional frenzy so that they'll buy a book as he prowls around the stage you know with his swagger and confidence Yeah, he's he's, he's got a lot of swagger and confidence for somebody who's peddling false theology.
3: Do it again. Now somebody say, do do it again. When I get ready to do it again, armed with the information that I have now, I'm more keen in my instincts. Oh, wow. Here's the word,
0: instinct, you know, so that you'll buy the book.
3: I'm sharper in my intuitions. My intuitiveness is more refined because it has been cultivated in the furnace of affliction. Oh, oh, wow, yeah. And where does the Bible teach this again? Through the things I learned on the first half, I'm a little bit more adept at understanding what matters and what doesn't matter, and I'm getting ready to do it again. I'm going to live my life with robust Tenacity and excitement and enthusiasm. Yeah, uh, do you need a crucified
0: and risen savior to live your life with robust enthusiasm and stuff like that?
3: No, not at all. Since God did allow me to be in the hospital on a respirator, sucking air, trying to get air in my lungs, since I am relatively healthy and relatively strong, and since I got up the, out of the bed this morning and didn't wake up dead, I'm going to live my life, even if it isn't but six more hours, I'm going to get some good out of these next six
0: Yeah, like I said, everyone's whipped into a frenzy. No, this is biblical.
3: You can't be fruitful if you haven't found your seed. Mm,
0: Wow. Can't be fruitful if you haven't found your seed. Oh, that sounds so, you know, biblical, but it's not weird. He's just hijacking biblical uh, metaphors and phrases and images and and twisting them into something else.
3: The teaching instinct is designed to to get you to take an intrinsic look at you.
0: Oh yeah, me, because uh, it's all about me, you know.
3: And how fearfully and marvelously made you are.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, truly.
3: And that you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. The only reason your life feels like a mistake is because you may have been misallocated, misplaced, misused, or abused, contorting yourself into something that you're not trying to fit in to a place. Yeah,
0: I don't feel any of that. Um, in fact, I feel like I'm doing exactly what Christ has called me to do in his word to uh, expose those who teach false doctrine. Is that you
3: were not designed to be instincts. Is my way, my word that I use to get you to look in. Your word that you use, not God's word. at how God has wired you and celebrate that and invest in that and educate that and inform that so that you can be the highest and best expression of what God created you
0: to be. Oh, yeah, because the Bible teaches us where exactly again to be the highest and best expression of what God has created us to be. Yeah, you read Romans. Paul says, the good that I want to do, I don't do. the evil that I don't want to do. That's, I keep on doing continually. Weird. Um, Yeah, in fact, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul warned us about in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's what he says to young Pastor Timothy. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Hmm? Did you hear uh, T.D. Jakes preach the word there? Nope, not at all. Uh, Yeah, be ready in season and out of season. That's right. you got to preach the word, whether it's popular or not. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this instinct teaching that uh, T.D. Jakes is uh, peddling there for a price, you know, as he's selling his book while whipping everyone up into a frenzy, that ain't sound doctrine. It's a myth. He's telling people what they want to hear, and he's made a lot of money uh, doing that because there's a lot of money to be made telling people what they want to hear. But see, the thing is, is that you'll have to give an accounting to Christ someday face-to-face and explain to him why in the name of Jesus You taught this mythology rather than proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins the way Jesus has taught us and told us to do. See what I'm saying? All right. We are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a quick Ed Young update and uh, another update, uh, well, actually, a Phil Pringle update. Kind of keying in on how, well, secret driven leaders, they don't want to be bothered with you know hospital visits and stuff like that. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Jesus did not die for your 401k. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
4: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now.
2: <laughs> <coughs>
0: Max Holiday's Bird Cage Theatre presents Church Day Select.
3: for tuning in to another episode of audacious bible time i'm your host stanley andy today we're going to be reading from matthew chapter 3 verse 7 from the furtick audaciously revised translation of the bible here's what it says but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming to his baptism he said to them you brood of bloggers who warned you to flee from your mother's basement Thank you for listening to Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host,
0: Stanley
2: Andy. Don't
0: pay more for travel than you need to. back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to save lots and lots of money that you would have otherwise sent to a televangelist thinking that God was going to bless you and financially rescue you by doing that. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. But listen, i got to tell you this. I can't promise anything from you from God. I can promise this, though. "...that by supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, you make it possible for us to keep doing what we're doing." So if you are learning, if you are benefiting, you're growing in sound doctrine and your discernment and biblical discernment, you've been rescued from a false teacher and found a church where Christ is proclaimed and taught because of the work that we're doing here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, consider partnering with us so that you can help us reach out to others and rescue them from false teachers as well. And the way you do that is visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month, that's it, to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us, and of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58. Two oh eight, And let me thank you for your support. We truly, honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. And by the way, if you're not already signed up for the PCR conference, uh, it's a month from now. Month, month. It's Yeah, that's right. It's in Clinton, Iowa. Go to pcrconference.com. Our theme is Shalom and the Means of Grace. And I think you will truly benefit from the teaching that we're going to be offering there at our first ever PCR conference. Okay, so real quick, uh, the question comes up during this time of the year. Why is it that seeker driven leaders preach from well movies well we 've heard different answers to this question over the years, and of course, Ed Young right now is in the middle of a movie uh, preaching sermon series out there at fellowship church in the in the greater dallas fort worth area, and uh, he 's recently put a, a promo video up explaining why it is that he 's preaching uh, a movie sermon series so here's ed young to explain why he's preaching about movies
4: it's here i'm talking about at the movies because let's face it our lives are movies your life is a movie so is mine we're acting in it and the producer
0: it's god uh-huh. so your life is a movie and so that's why we're going to preach about movies yet god's word says to preach the word
4: weird huh You're not going to believe the movies we have for you this year. Some of the funniest, some of the greatest, some of the most powerful you've ever seen. Invite your friends to this. Popcorn, soft drinks, the whole nine yards. We turn Fellowship into a theater. Because remember, your life is a movie, and we're at the movies at Fellowship.
0: Uh, So there you go. That's the reason why they're doing that. Um, So... You can, because uh, you are in your own movie, and and Jesus is producing. Oh, see, it sounds so religious and so Christian when you say that. I mean, you say the word Jesus, and people automatically assume, well, he he's t- you know this is a biblical teaching that because he said the word Jesus. And yet the Bible nowhere teaches pastors to preach from movies. It says to preach the word in season and out of season. You see what I'm saying here? All right, moving along. Uh, again, we're still under the money-grubbing televangelist update music theme You know, for uh, hour number one. Here's Phil Pringle from uh, C3 Church out there in Australia explaining why he, as a seeker-driven leader, should be exempt. Um, from visiting, you know, members of his church in the hospital. And this is just, well, the best way I can put it is sickening. Yeah, here, listen in.
4: Hospital visitation. Oh, Lord. Hospital visitation. Pastors are meant to go to the hospital. Pastor, can you come? Our baby's about to die. Oh, you know, we just want you to be here with us. Oh, it's a terrible situation. I drive over, I just run up the stairs. Now, you know, I'm not good with blood.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. You're not good with blood. Now that I'm a pastor, you know, hospital visits and visiting people who are not able to make it to church, it's an important part of the job. It is a vital part of the job. Because, you know, as a shepherd of Christ's sheep, that means you need to be there for them to... Bring the word to them, bring them the Lord's Supper, pray with them during times of tragedy. This has always been part of the duties of the office of pastor, right? Well, Phil Pringle doesn't want to have to get caught up in all of that because, you know, blood makes him queasy.
4: And medical things... I was talking to a nurse in New Zealand. We had a New Zealand conference recently. 800 pastors and wives in this thing just two weeks ago. And, then, and this one of the pastors' wives told me she's a nurse. She says, oh, it's so wonderful when you're in surgery to hold the lungs of a patient there and feel them breathing. I go, oh, 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 oh.
0: Yeah, he looks like he's about to hurl. So this is why he should never be asked to go to a hospital.
4: Oh, it's, uh, it's just I don't cope. Oh, I go a week, you know. Even when a woman comes and says, I'm pregnant, I go, oh, all over you. know, so I get a shiver. I go, I'm not uncooked I with all that stuff. <laughs> Somebody says, I've got a little problem up here in my mouth and the sugar, you know, some abscess. I go, oh, I'm not, I'm not good with that. So I run up this thing, and there's this poor little baby, this couple of ads, it, and it's had terrible problems, and they've only been kept alive by a machine, and they're going to take the machinery off. Oh God, it's just so terrible. But I walk in and, and the room is like dark and it's the intensive care room and there's little babies and these little, you know, incubators around the room and there's doot and doot, and, doot, and, doot, and, doot and, and all these sounds going like this and I walk in and, the, and there's not a lot, a lot of air in there and I start seeing those little dots you know, in front of your eyes when you're going to faint and you think Oh, well, those little stars go boom, boom, boom. I thought, no, good God, I'm going to faint. And I said, hi, everybody, hi. And I can hardly see them. It's like a snowstorm now. I go like, uh, 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 uh. I thought I'll reach out. I'll just lean on this bench and let the faint pass. And I won't be able to talk. And I'll just stare at him and then I'll be fine. Uh, and I lean out to put my hand on the bench, but it's not a bench. It's a trolley. And the trolley starts going like this. I go. Right out through the swing doors. Bang, bang. Out into the hallway. Go, oh, bang. I'm lying on the ground. And the nurse's knees are in my face. Can you hear? Pastor Phil. And I can hear her. I can see her. But I can't talk. Again. I'm trying to do something. Not a sweet spot. You don't want me visiting, you're in hospital.
0: Yeah, I, I think he should totally be exempt from, you know, what pastors have done f- forever.
4: Know what I'm meant to do.
0: Oh, you know what you're meant to do. Oh, I see. You're uniquely designed as a pastor to not actually have to go through the 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 queasy feelings of, you know, visiting sick people and, and maybe as they're about to die and things like that. I, Oh, I see. Because God has uniquely made you so different. You should never have to visit, you know, one of Christ's sheep while they're in the hospital.
4: I went to India to be a missionary at one stage. People said it'll break your heart, the six-week tour of India preaching. I hated it so much. I didn't like the people. I didn't like... I thought, am I a Christian? My God, this... this is awful.
0: Why are the people at C3 laughing? There's nothing funny about what he's saying. What he's saying is disturbing.
4: This is so awful. I come back through Sydney, Australia, and I see these guys with mullet, you know, like hair, hanging out here, pushing a shopping trolley, arguing with his wife, and I start weeping. God, I love these people. And I knew where I was called.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah, because you were comfortable with the guy in the mullet, but the poor people in India, oh, they, oh, you, they made you queasy. And, and, and you, oh, I see. Yeah, you should never, ever have to see anybody living in abject poverty. You should never, ever, because you're uniquely called, a uh, Pastor Phil. I mean, clearly. I mean, because of your unique calling, you should never be made uncomfortable and have to visit somebody who's suffering in a hospital or visit a country where people are suffering from poverty. Oh, yeah. And the people there think that uh, this is okay. This is biblical. This is what Jesus would have Phil do.
4: The to do list becomes more important than the to-do list because everybody will try and get you to do stuff that's got nothing to do. With what he ordained you for
0: before... Oh, yeah, that sounds so pious. See, he's standing on principle here. God has uniquely ordained him to reach, you know, uh, suburbanites in Australia... And not visit them in the hospital, you know, because that would make him queasy. And God has uniquely called him to never have to see anybody who's suffering in poverty in a third world nation. See, because the, the do not list is way more important than the to do list. Uh-huh.
4: Or oh, you were born in Jesus' name.
0: So this is purpose driven ism here. He was he has a unique purpose, and his purpose has nothing to do with you know visiting people in the hospital.
4: It takes a lot of courage to not do some things. Oh, you are so courageous, Phil. So courageous. It takes more courage to say no than to say yes and try and be a people pleaser. The secret to misery in life is trying to keep everybody happy.
0: So he's courageous in taking a stand by saying no when people call and ask him, come visit us in the hospital. Our child is about to die. That's so courageous. Oh. See, I mean, isn't that interesting? He's taken something that's clearly a vice and using manipulation, slick stories, without any biblical text, he's turned his vice into a courageous virtue, all in the name of Jesus.
4: You got to stop trying to keep everybody happy and say, look, I just can't do that. This person can do it. They're much better at it. When people come to me and ask me to heal the sick you know i can do it every now and then and you know pray for them and it happens but andrew cabal is far better why do i want to be the hero
0: oh yeah yeah you don't
4: want to be the hero batman He's so selfless superman spider-man clergyman
0: uh-huh. so there you go i mean yeah i've heard other pastors like you know perry noble and Stephen Furtick and others talking like this too. And that's just the latest iteration of it, and it makes me sick. The reason it makes me sick is because I'm actually a pastor now. And I know how important it is for me to go to the hospital and be there and pray with the people whom Christ has made me an under shepherd under Him to care for them. That includes visiting them in the hospital. It includes Taking care of the poor, it includes doing things that, well, cause my eyes to see things that are not easy to look at. Jesus himself looked at all of those things, and he calls the shepherds to do the same. Very, very sad. What do you think? all right we're up on our second break if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of fighting for the faith you can do so my email address is at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian or follow me on twitter my name is there at pirate quick break when we come back <laughs> heading down to action church for uh, one of gary lamb's greatest hits as he re-preaches his sermon on in a pit on a snowy day don't want to miss it we'll be right back Relevance, Shmelovance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. <laughs> Number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Now, before we get into the sermon, I actually have to play our warning, but we'll do the setup first. forget the bad the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon (laughs) oh man comes to us via action church canton georgia seeker driven leader fuhrer um gary lamb presiding name of the sermon series is greatest hits yeah no joke (laughs) Gary Lamb is living reliving his glory days and you know he's actually conducted a poll of the people at Action Church and asked them which of his sermons they you know were his greatest hits and would they like to hear again. <laughs> so the name of the sermon series is Greatest Hits, and the name of the sermon is In a Pit on a Snowy Day. So we're gonna hear his <laughs> reprisal of this particular Really awful message, and folks, there are so many ways this sermon goes bad. I mean, I have to warn you ahead of time y- you cannot be driving heavy equipment while listening to the sermon it, 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 bad things could happen to you, so let me go ahead and kill the music and before we get into the sermon, here is our warning and listen if something terrible happens to you while listening to the sermon, you were warned i you weren't. <laughs> Now, you've been warned, and so, like I said, if something terrible happens to you while you listen to this because of your reaction to what it is that you're about to hear, yeah, this is on you. It's not on me. So, without any further ado, here's Gary Lamb and his sermon series, Greatest Hits. That's right, where he's re preaching his best sermons ever, and he's re preaching the sermon in a pit on a snowy day. Here we go. And, of course, that's his music.
1: You ever notice that um, the smallest act by people who never intended it to change the world, but the smallest act can literally change the course of history? I mean, think about it on October 31st, 1517. A monk named Martin Luther, he walked up to the castle church in Germany, Wittenberg, Germany, and posted a piece of paper on the church doors. A little church history for you. It was called the 95 Thesis, and it attacked the practices of the church at that time. The selling of forgiveness, the money-hungriness of the church, the man-made rules of the church. It just seemed like a little simple act. He decided that he could no longer be part of a church that didn't follow the Bible. So he wrote a paper about it out of anger. Uh,
0: no, actually, um, he didn't write it out of anger. It was just a simple academic, you know, basically a call for academic debate. He was a professor in Wittenberg. G- clearly uh, Gary Lamb hasn't done his homework and doesn't quite have the correct historical nuances regarding the 95 theses in hand, but don't let you know, historical details get in the way of a of a greatest hits sermon, you know?
1: About it out of anger. Walked up to the front doors of the church, pulled out a nail, nailed that piece of paper to the door. It was excommunicated from the church, but that one piece of paper had a domino effect. It ignited something, it sparked something called the Protestant Reformation. And churches like ours today exist because of that movement. On April 18th, 19... 19- Actually, churches like yours
0: exist, Gary, because of the purpose-driven movement. Yeah, you you, (laughs) to say that you have anything even remotely in common with the churches of the Reformation. Yeah, that doesn't make any theological sense at all.
1: 18th, 1945, a factory owner named Oscar Schindler. He had a list of 1097 names manually typed on a piece of paper, two hundred and ninety seven women, eight hundred men. They were all held captive in Nazi concentration camps, and Schindler decided, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to free these 1,097 people. He lost everything. He died broke, but as a result of him spending his life trying to rescue those people, there's now 6,000 descendants of Schindler's list. On December 1st, 1951, a seamstress named Rosa Parks got on a bus in Alabama, and at that time, segregation required black passengers to get up their seats. To white passengers, she refused to do it. She was arrested. She lost her job. But that one act had a domino effect. It inspired a city bite boycott. It inspired a court battle. And within two years, segregation was ruled unconstitutional on buses. Here's the deal. Now, keep in
0: mind, Gary Lamb is a purpose-driven guy, which means that what's going on behind the scenes in his theology, well, this is that purpose-driven theology that we are called to quote-unquote, change the world. That's not the, uh, the call of the Great Commission now, is it? We as a church, as Christians, are called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded. Yeah, that's something completely different. Out of all of the examples that he gave, I mean, the closest to that would be the Protestant Reformation and the 95 Theses, because Martin Luther clearly saw a di- divergence in Roman Catholic dogma and practice from what Scripture says and what Christ has taught. So out of the three examples that he's given, the closest that's in the right vein of the, uh, of the Great Commission is Martin Luther's 95 Theses being nailed to the uh, church door at Wittenberg. But the uh, Rosa Parks, that has nothing to do with making disciples of all nations, um, although Schindler, clearly what he did is a good work. Clearly, loving and serving his neighbor, risking his life to save uh, you know those people, you know in Schindler's List, great work that he did. But that's not the same as making disciples of all nations.
1: Here's the deal: I, I'm not a historian, and I don't play one on TV.
0: Yeah, that goes without saying.
1: But here's what I've observed: it takes small acts of courage to change history. Somebody takes a risk. And it has a domino effect.
0: And the Yeah, that's great and all, but you'll notice that uh, as we look across history, the vast majority of people who've lived are not those people. No, it's just the few that really kind of stand out.
1: And the funny thing is, is when those people take that risk, they never set out with the intentions of changing the world. They just felt like there was something deep inside of them, a passion burning that knew they could no longer stand still They could no longer deal with the status quo and they had to do whatever it took in their own lives to take a stand. Sometimes you've got to take a stand. Sometimes you've got to take a risk. And many times the risks that we take have a domino effect throughout the ages. I mean, we think about people like Martin Luther. We think about people like Oscar Schindler, Rose of and, and we think about them kind of in heroic terms, but they never set out to be heroes. They were just ordinary people like you and I who were willing to take a risk. We're in this series that we've been calling greatest hits, and we're re-preaching some of the messages we've preached over the years. We took the most downloaded sermons we've preached, and we allowed you to vote on what sermons you want to hear again And I loved it when this one came up because I love this message. I I love the verse. I, I, I love it because I try in every aspect of my life and I fail many times, but I try to live out this message today. See, in life, there's those who are willing to take risk and there's those who aren't willing to take risk. Now, here's the deal. Those who aren't willing to take risk, they fail a lot less than those who are willing to take risk. Hey, those who aren't willing to take risk, it's safe and it's easy and it's comfortable, but risk changes the world. Nowhere in this book will you ever see where God tells us to play it safe. Nowhere in this book will you ever see God says, I, I came so you can live your comfortable life where you can know everything that is going to happen. It can be calculated and you don't ever have to worry about anything. Those who live a life of purpose, those who live a life of vision, those who live a life that changes the world and make no mistake about it today, God.
0: Uh, those who live a life of purpose and vision who change the world. Which biblical text tells us to live a life of purpose and vision and to change the world? When did that become the clarion call of uh, Christian doctrine? It isn't. This is a different religion altogether.
1: Today, God created us to change the world. Are those who are willing to take risk? Now, sadly, most people will never have the test to.
0: So if you are not a risk taker, you are clearly in sin, and Christ is very disappointed with you. And you've got to repent and uh, start embracing uh, risk. That's the only thing I can take away from what he's saying. And yet, which biblical text was he preaching on that tells me I have to be a risk taker? Well, we'll get to it, and you'll notice that uh, the, just like yesterday, uh, with that Kevin Wynn from Saddleback, um, you know, Gary Lamb again, purpose-driven guy, you know, down the line. Um, just like Kevin Wynn, he's going to see a descriptive text as a prescription, and that's bad hermeneutics and Bible twisting. We continue.
1: never had the testicular fortitude to go out and take a risk. They're comfortable. they're safe. they're miserable.
0: Yeah, that's right. You heard the words testicular fortitude in a sermon. It gets better though.
1: they're miserable. They know there's something missing in their life. They know there's something lacking in their life, but they're not going to get outside of the box. They're not going to get outside their comfort zone to discover why God created them. Here's the deal. Here's what you need to understand about what God's called you to do. God's called you to change the world. Now, each of us have a different calling. And each Yeah,
0: where in the Bible does it say I'm called to change the world? I'm not familiar with that passage. Could you show it to me?
1: Have a different calling, and each of us have a different purpose. But you'll never fulfill the purpose God has in you until you're willing to take a risk. There's risk involved in following Christ. Mm. I, I 'm mean, here,
0: so I'll never, you know, be able to experience this until I'm re- willing to be a risk taker. This is like Kevin Wind's sermon. You know, we got to be uh, ready to abandon our comfort and uh, the people we know and our traditions and culture so that we can find out what's behind door number two. So this is the action, risk-taking version of that same purpose-driven message. Again, different religion altogether. Nowhere in the Bible are we taught that this is what Christians are to be doing.
1: I I mean, here's the deal. In America, we are spoiled when it comes to being Christians. I mean, we show up every week, and everything's comfortable, and it's nice, and, and it's just safe, and it's just easy. But God says, I've created you for a life where you're all in with me. Now, listen, there might be a day come that we're not free to meet like we are today.
0: Uh, where in the Bible does it say that God created us to be all in with him and not be uh, comfortable? Where where does it say that?
1: Are today, So we need to realize, are we willing to do whatever it takes to take a risk? There, There's a portion of scripture that's a very obscure portion of scripture. It's one of those scriptures.
0: Yeah, so this theology that you're about to hear is all based on an obscure portion of Scripture. Uh Uh-huh. So this theology is not based on a clear text at all. That's what you should be hearing. We continue.
1: It's one of those Scriptures that even if you're the type of person who reads your Bible on a regular basis, (laughs) it's just one of those stories in the Bible that's real easy to overlook. Matter of fact, it's only two verses long. You could be reading, reading, reading. You could have read this portion of Scripture a thousand times and maybe never really had this jump out to you. They never taught me about this verse in Bible college.
0: You went to Bible college? <laughs> I doesn't show.
1: It really has no bearing on any
0: biblical doctrines. I, I, Except for the one about the importance of risk-taking.
1: I mean, most churches have only read, most pastors have only read this scripture to their church if they're reading through it to get to something else. But it's a powerful portion of scripture. Matter of fact, I would venture to say it's one of the craziest portions of scripture in all the Bible. The Bible says this in 2 Samuel 23. Benaniah, that was the guy's name, Benaniah, a valiant fighter from... I don't know if that's right or not. In my in the, my redneck language, that's how I pronounce it. Does that sound good to you, James? You like it? You're good with it? Well, if James is feeling it, I'm feeling it. Benaniah performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and he killed a lion. Verse 21 He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, ben went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. That's a bad dude. And the Bible don't give us much to talk about the He just said he's a big Egyptian. The Egyptian had a spear. ben had a club. ben pops him inside his head, takes a spear, kills him with his own spear. He's a bad dude. I, I mean, it's easy to read this verse and gloss over what just took place here. Benaniah was a bad mofo. You didn't want to met you.
0: Th- <laughs> do I need to comment on that? You
1: think you're bad, and I get there, there's some bad dudes here. You ain't got nothing on Benaniah. You said, well, he couldn't do anything. against my gun. I think he would take your gun, pistol whip you with the gun, and then just leave you there. Now, as bad as Benaniah was, the part of me that's the, that's the toughest is right there in the middle. The Bible says he also went down into a pit. On a snowy day and killed a lion. He's walking along. Humming zippity-doo-dah. Minding his own business. He comes across a pit. In the pit is a lion. To top it off, it's now snowing. Benaniah says, I'm going to jump down in that pit. I'm going to kill that lion. (laughs) I ain't got nothing better to do. Except killed a lion. Now listen, I I don't know about you. I know some crazy individuals in my life. But I don't know anybody who just decided I'm going to chase a lion. Me, my philosophy on lions is this. I like them at the circus. I like them at the zoo. If I see a lion walking down the road, I'm running the other way. You say, well, that's not very mean. I don't care. If I have a gun on me, I'm going to shoot at the lion while I'm running away from the lion. (laughs) I I, I mean, you you just don't come across many lion chasers. I, I mean, he didn't have a hunting rifle with him. He wasn't cruising around town in his Land Rover. I mean, this is no game park safari. He's out in the snow. The lion's in the pit. The Bible says, he, the Bible doesn't even say that he was fighting the lion out of self-defense. The Bible says he went down into the pit looking for a fight, willing to take a risk. I, I mean, Scripture doesn't tell us what he was doing here or where he was going when he encountered the lion. I mean, we don't know the time of day when he runs into the lion. Listen, we don't know Benaniah's frame of mind when we come in contact with a lion. But Scripture does reveal his gut reaction. And this dude was gutsy, to say the least. He was willing to take a risk. I mean, to me, it it ranks up there as one of the most improbable reactions in all of Scripture. See a lion, jump in a pit with a lion, fight the lion, kill the lion. Don't make sense to me. It doesn't. When the image of a man-eating beast travels through the optical nerve...
0: (laughs) Two verses, and boy, he sure is waxing eloquent on them. Um, again, descriptive text. Are we told by Jesus that if we wrestle a lion on a snowy day, that he's going to rescue us and we will prevail over the lion? No. Are we told in Scripture that unless we take risks like Ben and I, that we're somehow outside of the will of God, that we're not doing what we're called to do? No. So, what's going on here?
1: It registers with the visual cortex. The brain has one overarching message run. But men and I didn't do that. Normal people, those who play it safe, run away from lions. They run as far away from lions as they can.
0: Mm-hmm. Is that a sin? I think that's kind of wise, don't you? You run away from lions. Life, you know, probably a smart thing to do if you want to live to see tomorrow.
1: They run away as fast as they can. But lion chasers.
0: Mm, lion chasers, yeah.
1: Those who are willing to change the world.
0: Oh, I see. The metaphor. The, it's, it's an allegory, right? Yeah, those who are willing to change the world. The Those who are willing to be purpose-driven. They're lion chasers. You know what this is? By the way, this is called propaganda. This isn't theology. This isn't doctrine. This is propaganda. This is something completely different.
1: Those who are willing to get out of the boat and take a risk, they view things different.
0: Get out of the boat and chase a lion because, you know, lions can't swim.
1: (laughs) They don't see a lion and say, run. They see a lion and say, the chase is on it doesn't make sense to anybody else it's probably a stupid thing and there's a good chance i'm gonna get killed but listen if i win son i got a story to tell
0: so what how does chasing a lion change the world doesn't if you lose you're dead and if you win you have a story that you can tell your grandkids yay oh that's great yeah Uh uh-huh Boy, yeah, because the world totally changes when you can tell your grandkids, I chased a lion and killed it on a snowy day.
1: You know, dudes, we love a story. We'll do something stupid just to have a story. Hey, watch this. You know what I'm talking about? Man. The large majority of us, the only lions we encounter in life are stuffed lions or cage lions.
0: And is that a sin?
1: A few of us have been in... Situations that led us to hand-to-hand combat, where we were forced to fight for our lives. But put yourself in Benaniah's shoes. I-, I can just picture the whole scene. I mean, this is like this is like big screen stuff. I mean, this would make a great, great movie. I mean, ben and I is walking along, and out
0: of a movie. It's two verses long. How are you going to stretch a movie out of that?
1: Out of the corner of his eyes, he sees a movement. He 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 sees something crawling. Now, the Bible doesn't go into great detail, but I can I can picture it. I, I, I don't know how far away the lion was, but the Bible says it was snowing. So it was probably a little shelter. He saw the snow. At first, he thought maybe it was just something else. He looked over. Yeah, maybe you
0: can get Antonio Banderas to, to play Ben and What do you think?
1: Yeah. And he sees this huge lion. And like I said, most of us would run. I mean, he, he sees a lion and it's pupils dilate and his muscles tense and that adrenaline rush kicks in. I mean, this is a Hollywood moment. Spielberg needs to take this scripture and make this scene. I mean, imagine watching it. you got your popcorn in your hand. you got the surround sound. Listen, listen, the THX is in full effect. The screen is digital. It's three-dimensional and you see it. The snow is falling and it's so vivid on the screen you can see the snowflakes. And you see off in the distance this lion. And your knuckles as you're watching it begin to turn white. Because you get nervous gripping that seat. You know something's about to happen. And what you know is about to happen is Ben and I is probably about to get ate. And you're like, oh, yeah. I mean, you are no longer sticking your hand in the popcorn. I mean, your blood pressure is going up. I mean, the entire audience is just quiet. Unless, and unless, and unless, and, and I don't mean this in any type of a racist way at all. Unless... You were at the movies with a bunch of black folks. Anybody ever been to the movies with a bunch of black folks? They talked to the movie screen the whole time. Now, listen, I'm not saying that's bad, but so if it was white folks, we'd be quiet. Black folks would be like, Ben and I, watch out for that lion. Watch out. He gonna get. Boy, you better not take another step. I mean, so it's a whole different experience. So depending on if you're in a white theater or are you somewhere where, where you're outnumbered, it's either quiet or it's loud in the theater. All right? everybody is anticipating what's about to happen. Now, most of the time when they make a movie and it involves a human and it involves a lion, they tend to be scripted the same way. Man runs away. Lion gives chase. King of beasts has him a man-witch. And it's over. And you're anticipating, but but not this time. Almost... The last thing you would ever expect begins to happen. I, I can picture the, the camera is following the chase on ground level.
0: Mm, yeah, was, uh, yeah, I can, I'm picturing it with you, dude. Yeah, I'm totally there, man. And how does this change the world exactly? I'm not sure.
1: Benanias sees the lion. He gives chase to the lion. He, the lion, and here what you need to know about lions. Lions are fast. They can run up to 35 miles per hour. They can leap up to 30 feet in a single leap. Benaniah really doesn't stand a chance against this lion, but it doesn't stop him from giving chase. And then as he's chasing the lion, the lion makes one critical misstep. His 500-pound body hits a piece of snow that's a little bit weak, and it gives away under his feet, and he falls down into a pit. The crowd... they breathe. They know Ben and I is okay. The lion's in the pit and he can't get out. Ben and I walks up to the edge of the pit and he looks down. Then he turns around and starts to walk away. And everybody's like, smart move. Ben and I is crazy, but he's smart. He's walking away. Then suddenly you realize he's really not walking away. He's walking away where he can turn back around and get a running start to jump into the pit with the lion. I, I, I mean, it, it's isn't. It's insane what's going on here. Have you ever had one of those moments in your life that you look back where you did something crazy and you look back on it and you think, what was I thinking? That was stupid. I I believe this was one of those moments for men I, I believe, even though we know he killed the lion, because scripture tells us he did, he probably looked back and was like, that was stupid. Back in my younger days, I did some stupid things. Like I jumped in a pit with a lion one day and killed it. I'm old now. I wouldn't do that at all. I mean, it's just one of those things. And it had to be. I mean, who in their right mind chases lions? But he collects his thoughts. He walks away from the pit. He turns back around. He gets a running start, and he jumps into the pit. When he jumps into the pit, because we want kids to be able to go see the movie, it's PG-13. So the camera pans out. So we don't really see the battle that takes place in the pit. We hear it through the soundtrack. We know something's going on. We hear ben screaming, we hear the lion screaming, and then there's silence. And everybody in the movie theater is expecting the lion to come out of the pit. Maybe he's got ben I in his mouth. But we think there's no way ben I jumps in that pit and kills that lion. And after just a few seconds, enough to build that tension up, all of a sudden you see a hand come up on top of the pit. It's covered in blood. And you see him pull him up and he's got claw marks across his face. And he's got just a little, you know, you know, crazy people got that crazy person grin. He's got a little bit of grin about him. And we realize that Ben jumped in the pit and he killed the lion. One of the most improbable victories ever recorded in Scripture happens right there some of you have read your bible a million times and overlooked that scripture every single time ben and i was the ultimate lion chaser he was the ultimate risk taker and because of the risk he was willing to take his life was never the same and here's what i want you to know today church god has some lions in your life that he wants you to chase
0: Mm mm-hmm Really, um, how did you get that from that passage? Because that's a descriptive text, not a prescriptive text. If I'm supposed to be chasing lions, then why is there no passage that specifically spells out that I'm to be a lion chaser? Not even the text that you read says that we're to chase lions. In fact, I can point you to a passage that tells us the exact opposite of being lion chasers. You ready? Here it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. There you go. No lion chasing necessary. Just aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs, work with your hands. That's what it means to do a good work as a Christian. That's a direct command, by the way, in light of the gospel in First Thessalonians. Uh, this text regarding Benaniah and lion chasing, it's a descriptive text in a historical narrative without any prescription to tell us to be lion chasers. In other words, uh, yeah, nowhere in Scripture are we instructed that being a lion, lion chaser is a good work that God wants us to do.
1: God has some risk that he wants you to take. Here's what you need to realize. You're not always going to know the outcome of how something happens. You've got to trust God. It's easy to trust God when you know what's going to happen. It's a whole other story when you step out, you jump in the pit with a lion, and you begin to fight that lion, not knowing if you're going to win or the lion's going to win. But here's what we need to realize today. God is still God.
0: Yeah, he is, and nowhere does God tell us that we have to jump into lions that are in snowy pits.
1: Those who play it safe live their life as a life of regrets. And God says, I want you to be a risk taker. I've got opportunity.
0: Uh, no, nowhere in Scripture does it say, I want you to be a risk taker. Show me the text that says that.
1: Opportunity for you, but you've got to take that chance. Scripture doesn't give us the blow-by-blow description like I just did. That was the GLV version, the Gary Lamb version of the Bible. I've been working on it for a few years. It'll be ready probably by Christmas for your ordering delight. Um, all we know is that when the snow settled, the lion was dead, and Benaniah was alive. We know that there was two sets of footprints going into the pit and only one set coming out. Both went in, Benaniah came out. Because he was willing to take risk. He wasn't willing at the end of his life to look back on his life and live with regret. He wanted to know when he looked himself in the mirror, I lived life to the fullest. I was willing to take chances. I was willing to go out. And listen, sometimes when you take a chance, you get hurt. You get back up and you take another chance. You take another risk. You swing for the fences every single time. And there's some interesting things ...in this story that I want to point out to you today. I mean, this was a life-changing event for Benaniah. And and I want to show you a few principles, if you will, on the subject of risk... ...that I think, if you apply to your life, will change your life. Because every one of you, at one time or another, are going to be confronted... ...with, do I take this risk or do I not? And how you live your life and the fulfillment you get from life will be paramount. It will go back to the fact on whether or not you want to play it safe or you want to walk on the edge. The first thing I notice as I read this scripture is this. Risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than the one taking the risk. Risk doesn't make sense to anybody except the one taking the risk. There's not one person anywhere I've got some crazy friends, and I've seen them pretty drunk in my life. And even as drunk as they can get, and as stupid as they can get, I don't think I want them to be like. Yes, you jumping in that pit with that lion is a good idea. You got this. We're there for you. Do it. There's not one person who thought Men and I was smart for doing that. I mean, I, I, to do it even when it's not snowing is dumb. But to do it when it's snowing, you could slip any moment, it's freezing. It just didn't make sense. In every aspect, the lion had the advantage. Risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than the one taking the risk. This didn't make sense to anybody but Benaniah. And, and Benaniah had his reasons. We don't know what his reasons were, he might have just wanted a challenge. Sometimes people just want a challenge. He might have just been walking. My life's boring. You know, I beat that Egyptian up with his own club, and I killed Moab's two strongest men. I'm bored, right? Oh, there's a lion in a pit. Sounds fun. Going to eat at mom's in a couple hours. I got a couple hours to spare. He might have just wanted a challenge. I don't know. It's very possible that the lion might have been terrorizing the village, the city. We don't know. The lion might have been walking through, and bad things were happening. And Ben and I was like, I got to protect the city. I'm going to go down and fight that. Ben and Benaniah, he might have just been cold and said, "You know what? It's freezing. It's snowing."
0: So you are going to give us all the speculative possibilities here. This is no way to preach God's word. By the way, the story of Benaniah it doesn't exist in a in a vacuum. It exists in a context, and this exists in the context of the listing of David's mighty men. Yeah, that's you know, that's what's really going on here is that we're lit, we're reading about the mighty men of of David. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Joshab Bashabeth, a Tachamanite, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. Next to him was Eleazar, the son of Dodai, the Ahohite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pas-Damim for battle. Then the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Notice who brought the victory? The Lord. Uh-huh. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Next to him was Shammah, son of Agi. The Hararite, when the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shema took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck down the and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. Notice that refrain there. And the Lord brought about a great victory. Who was doing the great victory? the Lord was, God. During the harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam, while a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives, and David would not drink it? Such were the exploits of the three mighty warriors. Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, the chief of the three, he raised his spear against 300 men whom he killed, and so he became as famous as the three. Was he not held in greater honor than the three? He became their commander, even though he was not included among them. Benaniah, the son of Jeho- Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from zeal performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion, and he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with this, his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada. He was as famous as the three warriors. He was held in great honor, uh, greater honor than any of the thirty, but he was not included among the three, and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Among the thirty were Ashael, the son of Joab, El-Hanan, son of Daudah, from Bethlehem, Shammah, the Herodite, Elikah, the Herodite, Helles the Paltite, and the list goes on. So this all falls into the, uh, the accounting of David's mighty men of valor. And they refrain there a couple of times, and the Lord brought about a great victory. The Lord did. This is not a text that 's telling you that unless you go out and become a risk taker, you know somehow you 're not living up to what God would have you do that 's not what this text is saying at all, and uh, what Gary Lamb is doing with this text is just criminal, and of course he 's more or less an accomplice with this crime because this is actually from a book you know by the same name you know in a pit on a snowy day with a lion by mark batterson that 's what this is that 's where this comes from. And this is just bad purpose-driven propaganda, as if somehow the fruit of the Spirit is risk-taking. No, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, not risk-taking. That's not That's not in the list of the fruits of the Spirit. So the idea here is, is that I think a good metaphor, a good analogy or a good parallel would be, think of it this way. Um, back in the days of the M- M- Middle Ages, right, there was a lot of confusion about what a good work was, and there were a lot of Christians who thought, "Oh, well, a good work is going on a crusade and killing in uh, killing Muslims. Is that a good work?" Hmm. Uh, a lot of people thought, "I know, a good work is going to such and such a castle and viewing the relic, the 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 knuckle bone of Saint James. Is is that a good work?" I know a good work is uh, is going across the you know uh, the river and buying an indulgence from Tetzel to spring my parents out of purgatory. Is is that a good work? You see, I, I list all these things because none of those are good works. None of them. What is a good work? Only God's word tells us what a good work is, right? And without God's word, we don't know what a good work is. But I don't see any scriptures that admonish me as a Christian that I just have to be some kind of abject risk-taker. Now, granted, there are certain risks that Scripture tells me as a Christian to embrace. The risk of shame and persecution for the name of Jesus, for proclaiming the true faith and defending the truth and sound doctrine. And, And I might be called upon to be a martyr, and for, you know, sharing the gospel. that's the kind of risk that we all Christians are called to embrace and that truly is a good work. But that's not the kind of risk that um Gary Lamb here is preaching about. The kind of risk he's talking about is, you know, the risk to, you know, uh like Oscar Schindler, although Oscar Schindler that was a good work. Uh, you know, the kind of risk that uh Rosa Parks did. That was truly a good work what she did that was the kind of risk that you know that that she should have done in standing up for her neighbor and her own rights and her own humanity but, I mean, what, what? give me an example then of what risk I'm supposed to be taking right now. This is an unclear teaching because he's taking a descriptive text, turning it into a prescription, browbeating us because we're not risk-taking enough, and then telling us that God has some risk, some lions that he wants us to slay in our lives. And yet the text, when you look at it in context, doesn't even come close to saying that. What is this theology? This is purpose driven propaganda.
1: Nothing looks good like a lion skin coat. I ain't got a lot of money. It's down there for the taking. When I roll up in town with the lion skin coat, the ladies are gonna go crazy. Guys, we do some stupid thing for ladies. Y'all ain't gonna say amen to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> We've done some things about as stupid as jumping. I, I won't even throw y'all on I have done some things about as stupid as jumping in the pit with a lion. We don't know why Ben and I jumps in that pit. But here's what we know. God is in the business of putting us right where he wants us when he wants us there. Ben and I was there because that's where God wanted him. I don't think anybody would have bet on ben in this fight. Not even the most riskiest of gamblers would have betted on ben He had to at least be one to 1,000 odds as an underdog. I mean, the snowy conditions, the pit, he had to go down to the line. Everything was against him. And we don't know the reasons, but we know he did it. And the reasons made sense to him. The greatest risk in your life will seem crazy to others. That's why they're risk. Hey, if stepping out and taking a risk was easy, everybody would do it. So if you're looking, it's like when people ask you, they'll see a tattoo like, that tattoo hurt? No. (laughs) Felt good. That's one of the, now there's a good hurt. Sometimes people like that kind of pain because they're not right in the head. But there's no one like, it was great. It's like eating cotton candy. <laughs> you know, same way with risk. Well, Was there danger? Of course there was danger involved in it. Did it make sense? Of course it didn't make sense. It's a risk. And at the end of your life, there'll be two types of people, those who are willing to take a risk and those who weren't willing to take a risk.
0: And Really, so the, the big divide is going to be on whether or not you're a risk-taker rather than a penitent believer in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Where is he getting this theology from? Not from the Bible, because the Bible doesn't teach this.
1: And the biggest risk you'll take will make sense to nobody. Over and over in my life, I've tried to make decisions that made sense to nobody, but knowing God called me to do it. i, I just be honest with you they Starting this church made no sense. It just didn't. You don't. We started this church. We started
0: meeting. Of course, it didn't make any sense because you are disqualified biblically from being a pastor.
1: Meeting as a group in July. Nobody starts meeting. It's called the summer slump for a reason. The worst time, if you listen to the experts on starting a church is the summer. We had a group of people who wanted to start something. We started meeting and talking in July. Didn't make a lot of sense. Two out of three churches, new churches, closed their doors by their second anniversary. It made no sense. And, and then you're going to start a church in the poorest part of town. It makes no sense. Someone who said, I'm just so glad God called y'all there. How did you know God called you there? I said, Well, we were broke and rent was cheap. <laughs> the guy said, I, but, but you had a calling. I said, Well, we were broke. We got thrown out of the other place. <laughs> Rent was cheap. We moved here. Now, since that time, we feel like God's called us here and God's given us a unique mission. But it made no sense to come down here. And, and then add to that, me and Christine were talking yesterday and she said, All right, I was this weekend and she was talking. We were talking about a buddy of mine who pastors a very large church and we were talking about different things. And she said something. She goes, You know, do you ever see action church doing this? And she goes, You did that before and what do you think? And I, and I said, You know, We can never reach those kind of people that go to that church. They won't come to this church. And she didn't grow up around church, and so she didn't really understand what I was saying. She goes, what do you mean? I said, our church really doesn't make sense. The consumer Christian on Sunday morning who just wants to go to church to feel better about themselves, they're going to go to a place a lot more comfortable than this place. No offense to any of you, but they're going to go to a place probably where you're not <laughs> because you scare them. The big uproar right now is the big uproar right now in the church world in Georgia is the new gun law that went into effect July 1st. As of July 1st, you can now carry a gun into a church where you couldn't before. And churches are going crazy over this. They're what about if people show, I mean, the, the police chief actually had a meeting with pastors recently. I didn't go, but he recently had a meeting with pastors to talk about how the church should respond to people being able to carry guns. And one of the pastor friends said, what are you going to do about this? And I said, my people have been carrying guns. <laughs> I said, the way I look at it now is if the new law is going to a vet, at least I know who's carrying a gun. I, I, and they friend, I mean, churches are, sitting, some of you told me that you got a mask Letter from a, a church there saying, please do not bring guns to church We, because churches can say, well, they don't want the guns. And I'm like, what are you going to do? I said, we're not going to do anything. I asked Mike, he's one of our, I said, should we do anything? And Mike's like, no. <laughs> he said, I, when "I every time I hug so and so, I feel their gun. <laughs> I said, he goes, what's that going to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, it it, it just, you, you just, it's an uncomfortable group of people. It, it's rare. The consumer some- so notice
0: this section of his greatest hit sermon. is all about showing you how he practices what he preaches. He's a lion chaser. Gary Lamb is. Wow. Yeah, aren't you impressed? Oh, wow. He's making all of these risky decisions that make no sense. That's proof that he's just like Benaniah, the lion chaser. See, he's doing what God wants him to do. Really, God wants you to be completely irrational. Not make any sense. Start a church despite the fact that you as a pastor are morally disqualified. You don't actually meet the qualifications for being a pastor in Christ's church. Yeah, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It's that you're in rebellion and you're twisting God's word in order to justify, well, this is the way the Lord is leading me. No, if you were doing what the Lord was leading you to do, you'd obey his written word. But you haven't. You flat out disobeyed it. We continue.
1: Sunday morning Christian is probably going to be uncomfortable walking through the smoke pit to get through the doors. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, it looks like a funeral here. Everybody's in black and sleeves cut. It's just, listen, I, it's an intimidating group of people for a consumer Sunday morning Christian. They want to go somewhere that has all the bells and whistles and everything's nice and cozy and they can come for their hour and sing their songs and hear their pretty little sermonette and go home and feel like they did their civic duty on Sunday. We're not really going to be able to do that here. You say, well, are you dogging? I'm not dogging that kind of church at all. I'm glad for those type of churches. Because what it does is it keeps those type of people out of here. You know? I mean, it, it just, this church just doesn't make sense. You know, it just doesn't. But we knew God had caused us to start it. We knew God had put a call. Really, why
0: would God cause you to start it when you don't meet the qualifications of a pastor? Husband of but one wife? Yeah.
1: We knew God had put a call on our life and a purpose in our life and there was risk involved. For the first time ever in my life, I was working. I owned a company where I was making really good money, and it made no sense, James. You were there at that time to leave that, to come here, to make nothing. Because I had the bright idea I could do both for a while, and I couldn't. You know you know, my max, work one day a week. And so when I had to start working more days than one day a week, that kind of got me stressed out and had to make a decision. I the church. So thing was only one hour, one day a week. I'd stick with that thing, and it worked out really good. But then people thought we were stupid to start this church. They still think we're stupid. There's risk involved. But God calls you to take risk. Had we not taken that risk, how many people wouldn't be in church today? How many marriages wouldn't be restored? Not because of me, but because of what God's done. How many people who thought church could never be a vital part of their life? It might not be the prettiest group around, and it might not be the biggest group around. But I tell you this, and I don't mean it because I'm the pastor and trying to be cocky and brag. There's- yeah, you're...
0: The thing is, is that how are you helping these people? You're not preaching God's word correctly. You're not preaching Christ. You're preaching yourself and false doctrine and purpose-driven propaganda. You're hurting all of these people.
1: There's not a church in this community that does more for this community and the down, and down than this group of people right here. Sometimes I want to take a break and you guys get mad. "When When are we doing something else in the community? I'm like, God, I just want to rest right now. No, we need to do something, and we do it. It's a risk. It's a risk opening those doors and letting just anybody come in all the time. All the time people are coming to me and saying, hey, I enjoyed the church. I need to tell you about my past and you need to know this because my PO officer might call you and it'd be really good if you knew this. And I'm like, well, I appreciate you letting me know. Now here's the rules for you and here's the rules for you and you can come but you can't do this and you know, don't go to this person. They'll probably kill you and just, just come and smile and sing and stay out of the way. Everything we've done here has been a risk. But the greater the risk, the greater the reward. <laughs> There'll come a time in your life where you're going to have to take a risk and others might not understand it. Your risk might involve a career change. Some of you have been going through the motions. I, I was thinking about you the other day, and when I was thinking about our trip. You know, thing that you tell me you used to be a fireman, and you quit to go work for a company that was going to do all this stuff, and they bottomed out, took a risk. And it would have been easy to look at that risk and think, man, that was a horrible mistake. But had you not taken that risk, you wouldn't be where you are today in the best place you've ever been in your life. You know, you gotta take a risk. Sometimes when you take a risk, the payoff doesn't come for years down the road. But you gotta take a risk. I'd rather take a risk and lose. I'd rather take a risk and fail than live my life wondering what if? Some of you, your risk might involve a relationship. Some of you have been burned in relationships so many times that you won't even open your heart to a new relationship. God's got the person for you waiting. But you're jaded from your past, and it's affecting your present. And God said, I'm just asking you to take a risk. Yeah, but if I do that, I might have this happen. Yeah, you're right, it might happen. Or the stars may align, and the person you're supposed to be with might be there. Or you can keep doing what you're doing, going through the motions, miserable, bitter, cussing Valentine's Day every year, you know. (laughs) Your risk might involve some radical decision as it pertains to your children. And no one else understands it. And it costs you everything you've got. But you take that risk because the reward is great for the risk. Here's what I always say about something if a risk goes bad. What's the worst that can happen? I'm a big person who looks at the worst that can happen. So worst can happen is this, I lose everything. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it. Good thing about losing everything is work and get it back. But what if it works and everything comes together? Man, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Listen, risk doesn't make sense to anyone other than the one taking the risk. It made no sense for Ben and I to jump in that pit, but he did it, and the payoff was huge. Here's what else I want you to notice about risk. The risk you take today will impact your tomorrow. Ben and I is walking along, sees a lion in a pit. He jumps in the pit. He kills the lion. Look what the Bible says a couple of verses later. And David, David was the king, and David put him in charge of his bodyguard. I I can't think of too many things that look better on a resume. (laughs) To be a bodyguard to the king, than jumped in a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. I mean, I can just picture David, he's sitting at his desk, he's got his glasses on, and he's just looking over his resumes, and, you know, I mean, he says, oh, this guy graduated in a security degree from the University of Jerusalem, and this guy did an internship with the palace guard, and, man, this guy worked for the Brinks Armored Chariots. Ah, you know, whoa. (laughs) Jumps in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. I don't even got to call this dude's references. Get him here. Benaniah gets in front of the king, he says, Listen. Oh,
0: so this is all about resume building. Who knew?
1: Listen, you aren't going to be one of my bodyguards. You're going to lead my bodyguards. Had had never jumped in that pit with that lion on that day, the next day, when David's looking for some men to protect him that he can put his trust in, he'd have never been picked. I mean, that, if that had been me, I'd have had my resume like this. Gary Lamb, my address, and all it would say was, jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. Period. I won. Period. Like, I, I, here's what i do. I'd have business cards that said that. Who are you? Huh. Man, you jumped in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, and you won. That's right. Buy this man a beer. I mean, you you man, you talk about a bar story. You know, man, the risk you take today will dictate your tomorrow.
0: So Jesus wants me to be a risk taker as a resume building thing so that I can get free beers at the local
1: bar. Got it. You keep doing what you've been doing. And you'll keep getting what you've been getting. I'm so sick and tired of hearing people who are miserable with life. You've got one life to live. I I love you. I am your pastor. I will listen to you forever, but I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. Some of you wear me out complaining and griping about life, and here's why. Because I know you're never going to have the guts to do anything about it.
0: Uh, He just said they've got one life to live in. Is he preaching Jesus? Forgiveness of sins in Christ, life eternal. No, not even close.
1: And then you get your feelings hurt. I just feel like Gary doesn't have any compassion. He doesn't listen. I listened to you the last 23 times gripe about your husband. Do something about it. I've listened to you gripe 57 times about your finances. Do something about it. I've listened to you complain 103 times about your job. Do something about it. Take a risk or play it safe and be miserable. But the risk you take today will affect your tomorrow. I mean, I've learned this with our finances. I I, I have learned my
0: finances. You just. Why is your focus here on the temporal? We preach Christ crucified for our sins, which is all about life eternal. Because we're passing through this life. And none of us knows when our last breath is going to be. Could be tomorrow. And what is this? Do you take two verses out of context from the story of David's mighty men of valor and, and turn it into this?
1: just can't out-give God. It really doesn't make sense. Every time I say, Christine, write that check, I get a little bit nervous. I'm like... Man, we got this due, and this due, and this due. But I told her the first day she took over our finance, I said, here's the deal.
0: So risk-taking involves making sure to get that tithe check out first.
1: Before rent gets paid, before the utilities get paid, this. And and, and look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians, preachers talking about money. People get funny when you talk about money. I'm not interested in your money. You must have us mistaken with someone else. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. You know what, I've never seen a generous person who was broke. I've seen a lot of selfish people who were broke.
0: So you take the passage out of context and turn it into, oh, so you give in order to get from God. Yeah, showing that you're twisting God's word.
1: Huh. Huh. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. I know it was all in good, but I've had more people tell me today, you take more vacations than anybody. You're always at the beach. Yep. I don't answer to you about where I go during the week. You don't know the blessings God gives us in our life. Really none of your business, just like how you spend your money, is none of my business. I'll pack up tomorrow and we'll go back to the beach. I'll be back here next Sunday if we want to. But here's the deal. God always provides. Always. You know why? Because we're always willing to take a risk. Back to the Bible for offense. Oh,
0: God provides because you're willing to take a risk. So if you're not willing to take a risk, God won't provide. Wow. Yet, Scripture, we, we ask God every day, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, weird.
1: And Some of you. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, the risk you take today will impact your tomorrow. Some of you need to take that risk. Ben and I could have walked past that pit. And I believe had he walked past that pit, he'd have never been named the king's leader of his bodyguards. He could have walked by it and done nothing with it, but he took a chance, and it led to him leading. If you go back and study, David's bodyguards were called David's mighty men. I believe, I can't remember, I think there was 30 of them. These 30 dudes were bad to the bone. You ought to go read some of their stories. I mean, they were amazing dudes.
0: Yeah, I did what you weren't willing to do during a sermon. I actually read the text. Weird. He doesn't have time to actually read the story of David's mighty men of valor. Why? Because if you put this in context, he couldn't be preaching it the way he's preaching it.
1: They were the baddest of the bad. They were the elite forces. They were the ones that you sent over there to kill bin Laden. I mean, they were bad dudes. And Ben led those dudes. He was the baddest of the bad because he took a risk jumping in that pit. Words spread about him. They knew that he could fight. They knew he wasn't afraid. They knew he would take the risk. And David said, that's the guy I want leading my guys. The risk you take today will impact your tomorrow. Some of you need to take some risk in your relationships. Some of you need to take some risk in your finances. Some of you need to take some risk in your career. Some of you need to take some some risk in discovering your purpose. Some of you just need to take some risk today and watch it change your tomorrow. Man, and I'm done right here because I'm tired and I want to go home. Sadly, here's another principle. Most people will never take the risk. Most people will never take the risk. I'm done right here. Look what it says. 2 Samuel 23. He was held in greater honor than any of the 30. David loved these men. These men went everywhere with David. David would have given his life for any of these 30. But the Bible says, Menoniah was held in greater honor than any of them. You know Why? Because David had 30 men. Benaniah was the only lion chaser of the group. He was the only one willing to jump into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. The other 29, they had some great stories. I mean, Eleazar hung onto a sword and he fought to his hand, froze to the sword. I mean, there's a, one of his men's name was Shaman. The Bible says he stood in a pea patch for a pea patch and fought off hundreds of men where they wouldn't take that one patch. I mean, these were some bad dudes, but only one of them. As they're sitting around, listen, they're sitting around telling their stories over some beers at the bar. And Ben and I is just sitting back. That's a good story. That's a good story. Everybody gets done. They think everybody. He says, hey, y'all remember that time? It was snowing. He was like Al Bundy. You remember Al Bundy had his touchdown story? Ben and I said, y'all remember? I mean, they're trying to use their lines to pick up women. He's like, "Yeah, you can go. You want him?" He did. He's tough. He stood in a pea patch. He tell you by the time I jumped in the pit with a line, <laughs> it was snowing. <laughs> Just saying. Most people will never take the risk. At the end of your life, your biggest regrets will not be the risk you took, but the risk you didn't take. Not even the ones you took that failed.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, it sounds to me like the folks there at Action Church, they're going to regret taking the risk with uh, Gary Lamb. He's not preaching Christ. He's not preaching sound doctrine. He's twisting God's word. He's a purpose-driven propagandist.
1: Your biggest regret will be the ones you didn't take because you'll never know how it could have turned out. If a risk doesn't turn out, good. Ben and I could have died in that pit. But he didn't. He took a risk. I'm convinced he was held in greater honor because he was the risk taker of the group. He was the lion chaser. Some of you need to quit playing it safe and chase the lion. You'll never regret it. Let's pray.
0: There you go. So, uh, yeah. Boy, it's so much better the second time around that he preaches that. That was awful. And like I said, you know, there were so many different ways it went wrong. I did dare not comment on some of those ways. What did you think? Did you hear Jesus? Did you hear people called to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Was Christ exalted? Was the Bible rightly handled and preached? Or was it twisted? All based upon the false premise of the purpose-driven religion. Think about it. Like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you. The grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is vicarious death on the cross for all your sins. Amen.